0: Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. So let's turn to the book of Daniel. Read just the first chapter, but we... Actually, we'll look at that next week, because today is an introduction to the book. Let me, let me read this for you, verses 1 to 21, chapter 1. In the, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, "...youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine he drank." They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in a worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. (laughs) Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who ate the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner in this matter, and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all the literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. You may be wondering, why did I pick the book of Daniel to do? I want to do something in the Old Testament, not too long. And I thought something of a prophetic nature would be valuable for our church. So this is, I've been thinking about this for a while, and so I decided I'm going to go with Daniel. Just to let you know, I have 13 or 14 resources that I'm using in this series. I don't have an agenda prophetically. I know the positions. I held very strongly to a certain position in the past, but it's not my intent to teach a particular position that I have already believed or hold very strongly. I really want to try to deal with the text honestly, and perhaps will come to view it a certain way. I'm sure I will in the process of my study, but the books I'm using. Are some are liberal, some are more conservative, and so on. So I'm going to try to deal honestly with the, the text in this series. And that's always been my approach in looking at the Word of God. So, as an introduction to the book, there's a number of points we want to look at together. I have no idea how long this is going to take, but if I see it's going to run too long, I'm going to probably stop a little early. So first of all, let's, let's just think about Daniel himself, who this book was written by. What do we know about Daniel? Well, the only thing we know about Daniel is what is in the book of Daniel, actually. He is mentioned in passing in the prophet Ezekiel, in the sense that he, he's mentioned with two other good men of the Old Testament, and uh, primarily for his righteous behavior, so it's confirmation. This he was a good man. Even uh, the prophet Ezekiel knew about that. Ezekiel was up in Babylon at the same time. But primarily, it's what we know from the Book of Daniel. We know he's a, a Jew. He came out of Judah. He and his three friends. Uh, many think he was born in Jerusalem. We don't know that. That's speculation. But apparently he was from nobility, based on what we just read in the first chapter. And he could have even belonged to the royal family. We don't know for sure, but it is interesting that he's he's mentioned in that context of nobility and the royal family. He was taken as a captive by Nebuchadnezzar uh, and deported to Babylon. And we're told the date in which that occurred in the first verse of chapter 1, the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, which was 605. So if you want to know the date that begins this book, it's 605 B.C. It appears that Daniel spent his entire life in Babylon. Because the last verse of the chapter, did you notice what it said? He was there till the first year of Cyrus. Now we know when the first year of Cyrus was. That was 536. So if you count from 605 to 536, you know how many years that is? 70. That was the length of the captivity. Israel went into captivity for 70 years. So Daniel spent his entire career in Babylon. Babylon. And chapter 10 and verse 1 tells us that it was in the third year of Cyrus that a vision occurred that Daniel records in the 10th chapter. So he was there at least till the third year of Cyrus. So I I would put it he was 70 plus years. So Daniel became an old man while he was there. Now, it's believed that the youths that he took into captivity were in the age group of 15 to 18 years of age. You want to know how old Daniel was approximately? He was a teenager when he was deported. Now, he became renowned for his wisdom. That verse that we just read at the end. And especially in deciphering dreams. Revealing hidden things, mysteries, and so on. Daniel had a godly, psychic ability, if you want. Not a demonic one. It was given to him by Yahweh. So he, had, he, had a, he was gifted in a way that was a true uh, psychic ability. In fact, it was so impressive that we read in the second chapter that Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. It's a very impressive statement, chapter 2 and verse 48. In Babylon, Daniel and his three friends were very loyal to God in a foreign land. It was an environment that was hostile to his faith. And three times we read that he was greatly loved. And he was told that by the angel Gabriel and another angel that is unnamed. So It wasn't told to him by one of his colleagues. An angel told him that. Who knew firsthand, Daniel, you are greatly loved. By who? By Yahweh. What What a great thing. So he's a a very wonderful man of God. Now let's, uh, about the book itself that bears his name. So it was written over 2,500 years ago. We're looking at an old ancient document here. And the, the date, approximately, we would place from 533 to 530 as the approximate date of writing. For him to say that in the 10th chapter, in the third year of Cyrus, which was 533, that he had this vision, he had to write it sometime after that. It could have been that year. But that seems to be the longest period that the book records because there are seven chapters in the book of the 12 where the first verse in those chapters gives us the time frame for the vision that follows in the third year of Nebuchadnezzar, he had this dream. In the first year of Belshazzar, thus and such happened. Seven of the chapters begin like that. Now this, this book um, probably was written for the, his fellow Israelites that were in exile along with him. Who else would it go to? But they, it would be a message for them as well to encourage them. Now, Daniel stands apart from the rest of the Old Testament, not because it's the only book that contains prophecy, but it has a lot of prophecy, and it is apocalyptic in nature. Now, I'm going to explain what that means. It's been called the Apocalypse of the Old Testament. That's why we have it in the title. Now, it's kind of linking it to the book of Revelation, which is called... What is Revelation called sometimes? The Apocalypse. Why do they call it that? That's the very first word in the Greek text of Revelation 1.1. The very first word that... the There's no definite order. It just says Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Apocalypsis is the word. So this is the Apocalypse of the Old Testament. And I like what somebody said... Here, with, with that in mind, it's a kind of first draft of the book of Revelation. We're going to see the, that there's several parallels to it. Now, the book neatly kind of divides in half, as the Bible project presented so beautifully to you. If you watch that eight-minute video that opens up and explains a summary view of the book of Revelation, that divides very neatly in half, chapters 1 to 6 and 7 to 12. Though I think they went 1 to 7 and 8 to 12. I'm dividing it 1 to 6 and 7 to 12. 1 to 6 relates events that occurred in Daniel and his three friends' lives. They're the beautiful stories that you're taught in Sunday school as a child. Daniel in the lion's den, the three uh, young men that are thrown into the fiery furnace, and so on. These are the classic Sunday school stories that are taught that children learn very early on. They're encouraging. They're riveting. They're amazing and inspiring stories. They're simple. So chapters 1 to 6 have that in them. But when you go to chapter 7, then we turn a corner. Because now we're going to have a series of visions that come from Daniel. Particularly. They're all his, four four of them. In fact, the word vision is used 25 times in that block of chapters, where in chapters 1 to 6 it's mentioned seven times, the word vision. And it all comes out of basically chapter 2 and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which is also connected with a vision. So in chapters 7 to 12, you have a series of complex... Visions that are looking into the future, they're difficult to understand. This isn't why this book has engaged the mind. I have a relative on one side, on my mother's side, who spent years and years studying the book of Daniel. and I just became appreciative of that not too many years ago when I thought about what he wrote. I used to have a track written by him. Years and years studying this, trying to figure it out. Daniel 70 weeks and and all these things. So these, these are difficult and challenging to understand these apocalyptic visions of Daniel. Chapters 7 to 12. Now let me add this, that the book, although there's many characters in the book of Daniel, it's primarily about one person. Not Daniel. It's about Yahweh. And we have to understand that he is the big picture of this book. It's about him, as the whole Bible is. It's about the God of Israel who is called in the book of Daniel the God of heaven, the Most High. It reveals him as the absolute sovereign who is in total control in spite of how things appear. He's in control over the course of history and over our lives, and he is clearly following some sort of plan that he has. Long range. And we would call that in theology his eternal plan, his eternal decree so it's about him. Now, let's talk about the book of Daniel as apocalyptic literature. Because this is the genre that it's placed in. What is apocalyptic literature? One thing we have to understand, it has to do with the future. It's prophetic. It's visionary. It can, there's conversations with spiritual beings. There's crisis, there's catastrophe leading to an unexpected divine intervention. This is what characterizes apocalyptic. This is what you have in the last book of the Bible, you have it in the book of Daniel. But you know something? All apocalyptic literature comes from the Jews, not from any other nation. Because the deities of other nations don't know the future... They're not sovereign, they don't have a plan, and so there's no prophecy. Prophecy, writing history before it happens, or foretelling history before it happens, this is something that belongs only to Yahweh. This is something that marks Him. And in Isaiah 46, when he's contrasted with Bel, the god of the Babylonians, and other deities of the surrounding nations, this is what makes God different. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things not yet done. This is is his way of telling us he knows the future. He tells us the future before it happens. Because, listen, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose. You see, Yahweh works according to a predetermined plan that he himself has devised. It's his plan. He willed it and therefore he knows it and can tell it to us, what it is. And so this is something that is unique to the God of the Bible. He knows the future. So this is why apocalyptic literature comes only from the Jews. There's no other deity in the ancient Near East that is totally sovereign and works according to a plan and can predict the future with 100% accuracy. Now, I want to mention the fact that Revelation is called the Apocalypse as well. I want you to note the parallels to the book of Revelation. These are just a sampling of ones that I found. If you wanted to do a more in-depth look at this, cross-reference things, here's are some of the things that parallel the book of Revelation. In in Daniel chapter 7, in Revelation 5, we read about 10,000 times 10,000, thousands upon thousands. Same language about those that are before the throne of God. The Son of Man. This is one of the titles for Messiah that comes out of the book of Daniel that's repeated over and over again in the New Testament by Jesus Himself. This was His favorite self-designation to call Himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man came before the ancient of days to receive a kingdom. Daniel seven. Well, he's called the Son of Man twice in the book of Revelation. Also, the, the metaphor of that the God's hair is white like wool, and so on, that's in Daniel chapter seven. It's in Revelation chapter one. It talks about the books were opened. In Daniel 7. Where do we read that? Revelation 20, and the, the judgment of the great white throne, and the books were open, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. And then you have the book of life that is mentioned in Daniel chapter 12. The book of life, the register of the elect, mentioned six times in the book of Revelation. And then you have the horn, the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, and the beast that comes out of the sea in Revelation 13. Both of these make war upon the saints, it says. Same language. And prevail conquers them. And then when it comes to designating time periods... We read about twenty-three hundred morning and evenings in Daniel. One thousand two hundred ninety days in Daniel. One thousand three hundred and thirty-five days in Daniel. In the book of Revelation, we read about one thousand two hundred and sixty days, forty-two months. This is repeated a few times. Those those dates. Those uh, time. Periods are given to us in Revelation 11 through 13, those three chapters. And then you find this phrase repeated in the book of Revelation that's found two times in the book of Daniel a time, times, and half a time. Many think that's referring to a three and a half period of time. Usually it's viewed as three and a half years. Well, I'm not sure yet. What what it is, exactly. But it is interesting. A time, that's one. Times, plural, perhaps two, and then a half a time. So it could be one plus two, plus a half, three and a half. Well, that's in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14. Same, same expression. So you see with all that, there are pal- parallels between these two books. So this is one of the reasons why this person said that Daniel is the first edition of the book of Revelation. There, there's, there's some similarities there. and to, uh, to understand the last book of the Bible, to have a better understanding of it, we need to understand the Old Testament book. It's sort of like the groundwork, the framework for it. Now let me mention now just an overview of the, the prophetic events that Daniel details for us in this book. So in chapter 2 and chapter 7, you have a parallel vision. Nebuchadnezzar's vision in the second chapter, his dream that Daniel tells him, and then the meaning of it, is a parallel to Daniel's vision in chapter 7. But there's differences between them. They're parallel in the sense that both the dream and Daniel's vision outline four consecutive world empires that really sketches the course of history. Then in chapter 8 of Daniel, there is the conquest of the Grecian Empire, which is the third empire in the series of the four. It focuses on the Grecian Empire, in particular, from Alexander the Great to an individual that's named Antiochus. And you're going to hear more about him when we get to This was a very wicked man, and what he tried to do to God's people in history. It's well known what he did. The abomination of, that makes desolate. Actually done by him, it is to be repeated in the future, but there was one done during that time frame. Then when you come to chapter 9, you have a specific time prophecy that tells when the Messiah is to appear in history. It's an amazing prophecy. That part of it we know. What gets complicated is understanding the last week of Daniel's 70 weeks. But he comes after 69 weeks, which is believed to be 69 weeks of years, or 490 years total. And that's the coming of Jesus the first time. Daniel deals with the first coming of Christ. The book of Revelation deals with what? The second coming. So that's how they differ. But they're both looking into the future from Daniel's time frame. These are all future events. Now chapter 11 is an amazing chapter because it is so detailed, so specific about wars that are going to be fought between two of the empires that grow out of Alexander's Grecian Empire. The Syrian empire and the Egyptian empire, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, and this warfare that occurs between the north and the south in Syria and in Egypt. And it is so detailed, so exact, so perfect, so accurate, that many have said, Daniel in the 6th century could not have written that. And they want to make the date in the 2nd century BC after the facts. But this is an unbeliever who believes that he doesn't believe that God knows the future. But we know Yahweh knows the future; He tells us this is His distinct tra- trademark. He tells, in contrast to the false gods of all the surrounding nations. No, He can tell us the future. But that's chapter eleven is about that, and then chapter twelve is it's not visionary. But you know what it mentions. It talks about the end. It talks about a tribulation. It talks about a deliverance that is coming, a resurrection, and then the eternal state. That's all compacted into the last chapter of Daniel. So what book of the Bible does that sound like? So this is why it is apocalyptic. Now, did Daniel write Daniel? You know, in all the books that I, I got into in this... Some have very long discussions on this, looking at all the possibilities, refuting various positions and so on. I'm really not interested in that, don't want to give you, I just want to give you very simply why it's clear that Daniel is the author of this book. First of all, it needed to be written by somebody that was there on the scene because the knowledge that this person had of ancient history. The knowledge that they had of the customs and the, the culture of the Babylonians. The details that they give. This had to be somebody that was living in Babylon to tell us the various things that he tells us. Now in addition to that, he speaks in the first person. Seven times he says, I, Daniel. So it sounds like an eyewitness account of Daniel. And I already mentioned the fact that the first chapter of seven, the first verse of seven chapters begins with a reference to the time of a king's reign. How would they know that unless they were really familiar with that time period? In the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. In the third year of Nebuchadnezzar. In the third year of Cyrus. But Daniel's Life expanded all those kings. He was present for Nebuchadnezzar's reign, present for Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. His career spanned four kings that we know of. But now here's the final reason and the most powerful reason why we believe this is the book of Daniel. It's because the Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 24, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, flee to the mountains, and so on. Now, the abomination of desolation is referred to four times in the book of Daniel. When you read through the book of Daniel, make note of it. This thing is mentioned four times. It's something that occurred in Israel's history. Antiochus was the person who pulled this off, the abomination of that desecrates, that makes desolate. But apparently there's to be a future one according to the Olivet Discourse as well. So it occurred again perhaps in 70 AD or during the time of the Romans. So this is why we can say prophecy just doesn't have a single fulfillment. It can have multiple fulfillments. But Jesus added... To that and let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Why, why a reader? Well, because there's a book. Read the book. Read the book of Daniel. This is what he's saying. Read the book of Daniel. You'll read about this. Let the reader understand. When the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, the Lord Jesus called him a prophet, Calls Him by name. That, that's enough for me. I don't need any other evidence or argumentation to believe that Daniel is the author of Daniel. Just knowing that, knowing what Jesus said, knowing what God says about Himself in Isaiah 46, that He foretells the future. Amen. We, we shouldn't have any problem accepting a detailed account of what is to be in the future, in the Word of God. We only find this in the Bible. Now, let's think for a moment about Jesus in the book of Daniel. Is Jesus in the book of Daniel? Yes, he is. Let me, let me mention in how he is. Now, remember the Lord Jesus expounded everything in Moses and all the prophets. It says in Luke 24, the things concerning himself after his resurrection, in all the prophets. So he regarded Daniel as a prophet. Even though you know where Daniel is placed in the Hebrew Bible, it's in the writings. It's in the third category of the Hebrew Bible. It's in a section of poetry. It's with the Psalms and uh, the book of Job and Proverbs. That's where they put Daniel. But Jesus called him a prophet. And he's always considered by Protestants as belonging to the major prophets, not the minor. The minor prophets are the last 12, but that doesn't include Daniel. He belongs with Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And he's regarded as a major prophet, not because of the length of his book, but because how important he is and what he reveals in his book. That's what makes him a major prophet. So is the Lord Jesus in the book of Daniel? Well, right off in chapter 2 of Daniel, He's the stone. The, The stone, the small stone that's cut without hands that falls from heaven and hits Nebuchadnezzar's image that he saw in his dream, hits it in its feet, breaks it up, the image falls over and breaks into a million pieces. And that represents His kingdom coming. Coming with his advent, the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he is in Daniel chapter 3. Hey, didn't we throw three men into the fiery furnace? But I see a fourth one who is described as he looks like a son of the gods. Of course, this is a Babylonian speaking who had a multiplicity of gods. Well, you'll find, like in other translations, this one like the son of God, but that's not accurate. It's not what it says in the original. The original is a son of a-gods. So that's speaking as a, a polytheist. This is Nebuchadnezzar's observation of what was going on in the fiery furnace. So he is the one who is with the three Men who protected them, they when they came out of the furnace, they didn't even have the smell, smoke, smell of smoke on them. Not a hair on their head was singed. An amazing miracle. But I believe that that was the pre-incarnate Jesus who came to be with them. Now, he's also the, the son of man who comes, as I mentioned before, to the Ancient of Days to receive a kingdom. That's in chapter 7. And then finally, in the ninth chapter, he is actually called the Anointed One, twice. In Hebrew, the Mashiach, the Messiah. Two times in Daniel's 70 weeks, till the coming of Mashiach. So the Lord Jesus Christ is in the book of Daniel, very clearly. So what is the purpose of Daniel's writing? If God is the main theme and it's about His sovereignty, it's very easy to figure out why you wrote this. So the people of Israel were in exile, they were in a foreign place, a a very strange environment. Can you imagine going from the land of Israel where you go to the temple to worship, and everybody, you're surrounded by friends, and everybody's on the same page religiously going from an environment like that. To the pagan culture of Babylon. This is where idolatry began. Back in the book of Genesis. All idolatry came out of Babylon. Out of Babel. It began with the Tower of Babel, Nimrod, and all of that. It all come, This is why it's called Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. The last idolatrous system in the world is called Babylon. It comes out of the original historical fact that Babylon is where all false religion, false gods originated. So they go into that environment, a very hostile environment to your religion. You're going to read about the hostility and what they encounter and the difficulty of this. What do they need in a situation like... What do they need to know? Well, they need encouragement... They need to be stimulated to be faithful to God in an environment like that. And what better stimulus than to be reminded of the God that you hold to is over all of this. It's all in His control. He knows what you're going through. He has your future in mind. He is with you through it all. Well, this is a message for the church. We especially need that reassurance today in the environment that we're in. And we're going into deeper and deeper now. What do we need more than anything else? Know that God is the absolute sovereign. None of this takes him by surprise. His plan is being worked out. That's my introduction to the book of Daniel. I hope there's something there to stimulate your thinking and excitement about what we're going to get into. Amen. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.